Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever taken a risk in your life? I mean, a small risk, a big risk. You've taken a risk. You, you've taken a chance, believing in faith that something good was going to happen because of the risk that you took. What's interesting about risk-taking is it excites us and it scares us. It's exciting to take a risk because it's like your heart's pumping and you're really pumped up about what the, the outcome could possibly be. And it scares you because it's a risk. Uh, there was a report years ago that said that 150,000 people brave going down the rapids of the Colorado River, even though several people die doing it each year. Risk, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's, it's a risk. The report also said that since 1979, 100,000 people have taken up hand gliding. You know what that is? You ever heard of hand gliding? I, I'm sure it's fun, but I don't know why anybody would want to jump off a mountain attached to a kite. I don't know, but it, it, it's a risk. And, and if you just think about the, um, the amount of people every year that go bungee jumping, just by show of hands, I'm just curious. Is anybody in the room bungee jumped? We, we got one. Maybe his mom slapping his hand down. Maybe not. I don't know. Some, some of us have, have possibly thought about it, maybe skydiving. There was a, a guy who described bungee jumping. Listen to this. He said, you're standing about three feet from a ledge that drops out 500 feet. He said, you're, you're looking to the crew with your life. <laughs> you know, your facial expression changes when, when you know that whoever's standing there has their, your life in their hands. He said, then they start strapping all sorts of things to your feet, and you're looking there, and you're staring around, looking at all the unfamiliar equipment that you've never seen in your life, the, the, the harnesses, the, the carabiners, the cables, the wires, the winches. And then you notice the bungee. You notice the thing that's, that's literally either going to save your life or kill you. And he said, you notice it's only like two and a half inches wide, and it's just a bunch of rubber bands kind of bundled together, and you think, my life is in that. <laughs> my life is in that. And that one thing is either going to send me to my death or it's going to bring me back in complete elation. This is a true quote from somebody who did this. He said, you can't help but think, what am I doing? He said, in just about that time, they push you off. <laughs> and 9.8 times out of 10, everything's fine. <laughs> I'll let that sink in just a second. Risk? Yes, it's a risk. But for whatever reason, people take risks. Last week, we talked about the reality of eternity, believing in something that God says is real, but yet you don't see it or feel it yet. Investing now in the life that we have now in something that we don't see or feel. And the reality is, if, if God's word is true, and as believers, we believe God's word is true, that eternity is going to last forever and ever, millions and millions and millions of years, if we can even put a time uh, term like, like a years on it. And yet our life on this earth is just this short, you know, 75 years, if, if, if we're lucky, maybe 80. And, and so what we do right now in this small section of time that we have literally determines how we spend that millions and millions of years. Can I just level with you? The fact is, is to our human senses, to invest now in something that we don't see yet is a risk. We can't see it from here. We have to believe it in faith. So... To live and invest here into something that we can't see and feel with our human senses, it's, it's, it's a risk. You can't see eternity humanly. You, you can't feel it with your hands. You can't feel it. You can't, you can't breathe it in. I believe it's a risk worth taking, but I just want to be open and honest and say it's, it's a risk nonetheless. But I want you to think about this. Every single person that has ever done anything and reaped huge rewards has taken a risk on some level. I want you to think about just earthly stuff that we do. Think about stocks and bonds. It's, it's, it's a risk. Think about buying a house 
and uh, especially military families, where you, you're not sure exactly if you're going to be here for the long term or not, but you like it, you think you might, and so that time comes where you think, man, should we buy a house, should we not? It's, it's a risk, but it's, it's a risk that, that you feel like maybe is worth taking. Think about the guy who goes out on a limb and confesses his undying love to the girl of his dreams. Maybe with a guitar, <laughs> you know. That's a risk. Uh, big risk, big reward, some people say. Um, parents, having kids. <laughs> Maybe if you're not quite parents yet, but you're thinking about adopting or having kids. That's probably the biggest risk of all, uh, yet it brings some of the richest rewards. It's safe to say that nobody on this planet has ever gained great success by playing it safe. It always comes with risk. And if that's true of things on this earth with material things that we can see, feel, and touch, then why wouldn't it be the, why wouldn't it be the same for our Heavenly Father when it comes to eternity and what He says is true? If you deny your own understanding and take a risk for God, don't you think He'll reward you? Don't, don't you think He'll be true to His side? Because if we're going to believe in God, then you know what? We have to believe in who His Word says He is. How many of you would say, I believe in God? This is just a quick little thing here. I mean, some of you may be questioning that, and that's fine. I'm glad you're here too. But, but most of us in the room would say, I believe in God. Well, then if we believe in God, then we have to believe in who he says he is, not who we feel like he is at a given time or another. And who he says he is is that he doesn't lie. And everything he says is, is sure. He, it's sure when he said it, and it's sure now, and it's sure into the future. Jesus said to his followers in Matthew 16, this is what he says about taking the risk while you're here on earth. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, then you must give up your own way. That's a risk to our human sense. That, that's a risk. He says, take up your cross. Everybody knows what the cross of Jesus was, right? Taking up your own cross means that you got to, someone has to die yourself, the flesh nature in you, and you got to give up your own way of doing things. That has to be put aside, be put to death. Not a little bit, all of it. He said, take up that cross and follow me. He says, if you try to hang on to your own life, your own way of doing things, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, then you're going to save it. He's saying that you can have life. And you can either have it in the short amount of time that we have on earth, he said, or you can have uh, life in eternity. The, the life that you want to gain for yourself here on earth, it's temporal. It's not going with you. Nothing is going with you. The only thing that's going is your soul. But the life that you have in eternity, should you choose to invest in it now, is going to last forever. It's never going to go away. It never fades. At one point, Jesus said this. He, he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. He said, don't do it. And then he used some fun terminology. He said, on this earth, moths get into things. They eat stuff, you know. Rust gets a hold of stuff here on earth. Um, it, it, if you've ever had like a, a motorcycle or a car and you live on the coast where the beach is and the salty air, and all of a sudden it starts eating and corroding at it. He said, stuff just gets destroyed here on earth. It doesn't last. He said, but instead, store up for yourself treasures in eternity. He said, because it's going to last forever there, and the, the treasures that you're going to store up there, maybe you can't see them just yet, but I promise you when you invest here, they will be there. They will last forever. So how do we do that? Well, we're in this series called Investing in Forever. It's this, it's this God idea that uh, we're not going to live on earth forever. <laughs> Like, at some point, we're all going to go. I don't know when that is, um, but we can invest our time and our energy and our resources while we're here in such a way that impacts how we spend eternity. So today, I've, I want to talk about how we can uh, invest what God has given us to uh, manage while we're here on this earth in a financial way. Just financially speaking, I, I want to talk about it. You want to know why God cares about money? It, it's not because He wants it. <laughs> 
God doesn't need it. <laughs> the reason why God cares about money is because it's a huge thing on our, in, in our lives that has a propensity to control us. God loves you so much. He said, I want your all. He said, and by the way, everything's mine. The, the Psalms, in the book of Psalms, it says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Not only is all uh, the stuff his, but people are his too. And he says, I don't know why. He says, but that's one of the big things that has the, the, the ability, the propensity to control us. He said, so I care about that. And I want you to, to honor me um, with, with your money. And it always feels like a risk humanly when we start talking about money, when we start talking about what to do with it. And it's not necessarily because we don't, we don't believe God's promises. Can I just be real with you for a second? A lot of times when we talk about money in church, it feels like a risk because we're weary of human beings. Is anybody, can anybody identify with that? I can identify with that. We're, we're, it's not that we don't believe God. We're just, when it comes to where we give our money, when it comes to, to being generous, or we talk about the term tithing, which we're going to talk about what that is and what it's not in a second, we're, we just, we're not weary of God's promises. If it was just Jesus, we'd be fine. But God sends people, and people scare us. It feels like a risk. Humanly, it feels like a risk. So I just want to take the heat off for today. I just, let's take human beings off the table for a minute. And today, let's just, let's just focus on what Jesus said, right? And I want you to weigh for yourself. I'm, I'm just going to give you what Jesus says, and I want you to be able to walk away from here, and I want you to pray about that, and I want you to listen with, with ears that hear, like Jesus says, right? And I want you to walk away, and I want you to discern it. I want you to check the word for yourself. I want you to, to pray in your own life and see how this is, is going to uh, affect you in a way. Um, in Matthew 25, uh, he's describing what God's kingdom is like. And Jesus would do this. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't describe it in, in, in real, uh, real detail because our human brains can't perceive what heaven is like. We can't do it. We're, just, we're not capable. And so what, he said, what Jesus would do is he would often say that the kingdom of God is like, and then he'd tell a story, or he'd, he'd kind of give this illustration just to kind of give us an idea. And he does this in Matthew 25, and he, he's describing God's kingdom, and there's, there's four main characters in this story. There's this really rich guy, Okay? And the really rich guy, I mean, he's, he's got, I guess what we would say today, millions and millions and millions. Okay? And he goes off, and he, he goes off for a long time on a journey. And, and before he goes, he, he gives his uh, wealth to three individuals to manage while he's gone. Um, one guy gets five bags of gold to look after. Uh, another guy gets two bags of gold to look after. And the third guy gets one bag. And after a long time, the master comes back to see what they've done with it. Um, and if you've heard the story, you've probably heard, you know, the, the master gave him talents to look after. And so when we talk about this story a lot, some pastors like to say, you know, use your talent for God. What, what, what are you going to do with your talent, you know, your ability? Um, talent in Bible times, this was actually a measurement of money, kind of like a penny or a nickel. This was a talent of gold. It was a, it was a weight measurement. And so using your talents is great. I think it's a biblical principle. I know it is. Um, but this guy, Jesus was specifically talking about uh, a master entrusting servants with money. And so Jesus is telling the story, and we're going to look at three simple lessons today in the story. And I want to give you the first lesson, and then we're going to read about it. This is what he says. Uh, the first lesson is this. Five bags of gold people get blessed for taking a risk. Five baggers. <laughs> they, they get blessed for taking a risk. This is what it says in Matthew 25, uh, verse 16. It says, the servant who received five bags of gold, again, this is Jesus telling the story, uh, began to invest the money, and he earned five more. Let's skip ahead to verse 20. This is after a long time. The master comes back home to see what's happened with it. 
and the five-bagger has to give an account. It says, the servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of gold came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of gold to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise, and he says this, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. Five bags of gold, small amount. What's that, what's that tell you? That means the master has a lot. <laughs> okay? He says, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. I'll, I'll, I'll bless you with, with much more. Let's celebrate together. And so the, the five bags of gold guy, he, he has these five bags of gold, and he doubles his money. Now, most stories... They, they always portray the rich as kind of evil. If you think about like, uh, like an evil landlord or Lex Luthor or something, somebody like that. Uh, what I love about this story is the five bags of gold guy gets commended. You know, he's, he's celebrated for, for doing what he does. Um, so what does that have to do with us? Well, I, I just want to let the cat out of the bag for a minute. Jesus is telling the story, uh, but the rich guy represents God. And the servants represent, they represent us. And the truth is, is this. Some of you are five-baggers in the room. Some of you, you know, everything about your life just seems to be more. Uh, you have more money than most people have. You have more opportunity than most people have. Maybe you have more pressure and expectation, too. But when it comes to just having resources, you've got more than most people have. And this is what I know. The five-bagger in the story took the five bags of gold, and he made it ten. And we don't know how he did it. Uh, maybe he invested early in Apple or something. I don't know what he did. Nobody knows. Um, but some people's brains just work that way. They, they can do it. I've got a cousin who can take a soda can and five bucks and make a business out of it. I don't know how she does it, but, but, but she does. It always involves risk. Um, she's always very smart in the way she handles things, but she always turns a profit and always in, invests and in, in does things great. I don't know how. Nothing in this story uh, suggests or says that, that this five-bagger took it and, and somehow invested foolishly, did foolish things with his finances, uh, because five-baggers know the wisdom that comes from Proverbs thirteen eleven. We all should take note here. It says that money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. There, there is no get-rich-quick schemes when it comes to God's Word or when it comes to the Bible. Or, or, or what, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably, it probably is. We've heard these things before. Um, you know, spend less than you make and do it for a long time. That's an old adage that we say, and that, that's how you grow wealth. It's taken right, right from the Bible. Uh, gathered little by little, that's how money grows. Uh, when it comes to describing the kingdom of God in this story, uh, the risk just wasn't financial. You need to understand this, because investing financially in eternity, when it comes to biblical principles, it's, it's not primarily about finances. The, the risk was this. The risk was, was understanding that, hey, this is not my money. The, the risk was understanding that, hey, this is God's, not mine, and I am going to manage well what God has given to me, and I'm going to trust that his word is true. The risk was saying this, I'm going to obey God. And I think that's where sometimes we, we get mixed up. We think giving to the church or giving to people or being generous with our money, we think it's about, hey, what should I decide to do based on what is mine? And what God is saying is you're not an owner of anything. I told you before, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who belong in it. You're not an owner, you're a manager. You're a steward. God gives you to manage. And it's interesting in the story, he gave to each of these three individuals according to their ability, according to what they were able to manage. You may be sitting here going, man, God, I wish you would just bless my socks off with this. But the fact is, is that you haven't even been able to manage what you currently have. God will give to you. He doesn't give you what you want. He gives you what you can manage. You're a manager. 
And so if you want to be blessed with more, then you need to, to operate in biblical principles, understanding that, hey, first of all, hey, it's not mine. And, and I want to give, I want to do, I want to manage, I want to do with my money, my, my resources in such a way that honors God and brings glory to his name. I want to obey him. And there's many in the Bible who understand this. Uh, there was a guy named Joseph. It wasn't Jesus' uh, earthly father. But when the church was first started, uh, there was a guy named Joseph who, who honored God with his possessions. In Acts chapter 4, it says that he actually had a field, <clears throat> and he sold the field and took the money from the field. I mean, it was, land is important, okay? <laughs> he takes all that money, he lays it at the church leader's feet and said, here, use this for the church. The Bible says that he was an encourager, and the reason why we know this is because he was such an encourager, his name was changed to Barnabas. Some of you remember Paul and Barnabas. You remember uh, Barnabas went on to help people, um, or help Paul. He was persecuted with Paul. He helped start churches with Paul. Um, the word Barnabas, that, that name means son of encouragement. He was such an encourager to the church and, and, and what he did and the way he helped that his name was actually changed to that. Uh, but it started with some guy named Joseph, a five-bagger, investing in something that was bigger than himself. Uh, it happens all the time in, in today's world. Years ago, there was a man named Ralph Beeson who gave $14 million to Asbury Seminary. It was the largest gift that had ever been given at that point. Um, and uh, that later led to the Beeson Center, which trains leaders, an untold amount of godly men and women who go out and they invest in God's kingdom and they do uh, for, for the Lord. They work in, in the kingdom of God, trains all kinds of leaders for that. Uh, one of those leaders that came out of, out of that training uh, started the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that. You probably haven't, but this is, this is where it's noteworthy. That happens to be the school that trained our senior pastor, Jim Wall. And so here's the point. Five baggers can do amazing things if they love God enough to trust him, if they love God enough to say, this is yours, not mine. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to, to do what you say do. Um, and I want you to understand, God, that I'm yours. I trust you with my blessings. I trust you with my resources. I keep telling God, give me $40 million. I'll do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> No. Yeah, but for, for practical purposes, for practical purposes, it's not about, it's not about 40 million bucks. Five baggers, you, you may not have 40 million dollars, but what it means is that you've been trusted with more than what most people have, and when it's used and given in a way that honors God, the response from him one day when you face him is going to be the same as it was this five bagger in the story. And let's, let's put it up again just to read it for good measure. He says, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. You may think what you have is so much, even if it's, say, gosh, I just, this is everything. No, it's a small amount because we're blessed according to what God has. We're blessed according to, who, to the owner, and he owns so much more. He says, he'll say one day, if you trust him with what you have here, you, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'm going to give you so much more. When you get to heaven, it's not going to be about sitting on a cloud and playing harp. You're going to have the time of your life that you never thought you could have, having responsibilities and managing and helping God rule. That's, that's what the Bible says. And how much of that you get to do depends on what you do here. The second character in the story was, was the guy that was given the two bags of gold. He was a two-bagger, right? The second lesson we learn is this. Two bags of gold people get blessed for taking a risk. I think it's interesting that it's the same words was used for her. For, for the five-bagger, they get blessed for taking a risk. In verse 17 of Matthew 25 says, the servant with two bags of gold went on to work and earned two more. 
So kind of the same thing. Master comes back after a long time. We're skipping around a little bit. The master actually came back once, and then everyone kind of reported to him. But so the, the, the guy that has two bags, he has to come up and give an account for what he did with the two bags of gold. It says, the servant that had received two bags of gold came forward and said, Master, you, you gave me two bags of gold to invest, and I've earned two more. And then the master says this, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I think it's interesting the master said the exact same thing to the five-bagger that he did to the two-bagger. Truth is, maybe you're this way too, I, I identify with the two-bagger more. And I, I, I suspect that a lot of us probably do. Maybe you don't have hundreds of thousands put back somewhere, uh, but you're blessed with a comfortable lifestyle. You pay your bills. Uh, you're able to give when you can. Uh, you, you're probably a, a two-bagger, two bags of gold guy or gal. Here's, can, I, can I give you two temptations to be careful about, if this is you? Uh, the first one is this, be careful not to resent five-baggers. <laughs> it's, it's easy to sit back and sit back and be somebody who measures themselves by looking around. Oh, I wish I had that, or oh, that person's this, or hey, I would do that if I had that. And so we end up buying things with money we don't have to impress people that we don't like, right? That's an old Dave Ramsey adage. Um, it's, you can easily do that. You can fall into the temptation if you're kind of in that, that two-bagger car- uh, category by looking at people who have more and being jealous. And it affects the way we act. It affects the way we think. It affects the way we spend. That's a temptation. Don't fall into it. The second one is this. Don't be condescending towards one-baggers. We'll talk about one-baggers in a minute. But thinking that just because you have a few more things that somehow you're better. Let me tell you something. At the end of the day, you have skin and bones and blood just like everybody else. You're, you're no better. God loves you. He died for you just as much as he died for somebody else. So don't resent the people who have a little more and don't be condescending to the people that, that have been entrusted a little less. The fact is, is that Jesus didn't own anything but his robe and sandals. Can you imagine being 100% God, owning everything, and yet being a human being all at the same time? And, and just having what he had? He told a guy one time, he said, foxes have holes and birds have nests. He said, but I don't have any place to lay my head. (laughs) He was a troubadour. He had his disciples, went from place to place, and proclaimed the kingdom of God. Interestingly, in his story, he doesn't make any difference between a five-bagger and two-bagger. They got the same exact words from the master. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know what this says to me? This says that two-baggers have the same responsibility to make what God has entrusted to us better to take it and honor God with what he's given us. It, it may not be huge you know, lump sums if you're a two-bagger. You may not get you know, $20,000 in one month. You, you, may, you may never even see that much in one check. I don't know, but you can still follow biblical principles with what you have. You, imagine the money. It, this, this is crazy because that middle-of-the-row type of people, you don't see big lump sums. You think you're barely getting by, but I just want you to think about the money that passes through your hands in a work lifetime. If, if, let's, just, let's just pretend for a minute. If you work 40 years and you make an average, everybody say average, so it's not the exact amount you know, earlier or later. It's just an average of $40,000 a year. That's, that's, that's average. That means $1.6 million will have passed through your hands in a lifetime. And the question is, what'd you do with it? I know a lot of it went to bills and a lot of it went to responsibilities. And some of those bills were just debt because we spent on stuff that we didn't need to impress people that we didn't like. 
That, that amount of money just, just kind of blew through your hands. All right, so let's say, okay, well, Pastor Ryan, I don't make 40 grand a year. Let's just pretend you made $25,000 a year for 40 years. Okay, fine. That means you made a million dollars in a lifetime. I'm sorry. Uh, how much of that did you risk? How much? I mean, think about it. Isn't that crazy to think about? I, try, I did the math trying to think of it in my own life. I'm like, man, how much of that money did I risk that I invest here so that eternity would be impacted for me? And for other people who are, who are blessed by what I did on this earth that God used. And how much of it just wasted, how much of it just passed through my hands for my own comfortability? That literally none of that comfort is going with me. None of, none of that comfort in, in this maybe 75, 80 years that I have here, none of that's going. But how much of it just passed through my hands here and I just wasted? How much of it just went by? How much of it did I risk? How much of it did I waste? How much of it passed through my hands? You can do the math in your own life. You, you, you may make a little less than that, or you may make a lot more. I don't know. But the fact is this, no matter what you have, if we're going to honor God with our money, it's going to start with two basic principles. Two basic principles. I want to talk about them. I don't want you to get freaked out, because some people do when we start talking about this kind of thing. But this is the Bible. Again, take the humanity out of the picture for a minute. Let's just focus on what God says. It's the tithe and it's generosity. Okay? They're not the same thing. This is, this is God's word. Tithing and being generous, offerings, they're, they're not the same thing. Um, and, you know, we can talk about tithing and debate it. I'm, I'm not here to debate. I'm not here to really convince you of anything. I'm here to tell you God's word. In Malachi chapter 3, uh, it says this. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? This is God talking. He says, yet you're robbing me. And then God kind of quotes us. He says, but you, and you're asking me, how, how are we robbing you, God? And this is his word, he says, in tithes and in offerings. And he says, because you're robbing me in this, we would never say we'd rob God. Gosh, we wouldn't even rob a person. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody in the room, hopefully, that, that just robs houses or, you know, but maybe there is, I don't know. Thank God for his grace. But we wouldn't even think about robbing a person. How much more robbing God, you know? And God says, you're, you're robbing me. He says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And then he says this. He's like, hey, turn it around. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and, and just see if I won't do what I said, if I won't throw, up the, uh, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not even enough room to store it. Now, this, this was a farming agri agricultural society. So a lot of times God, Jesus, they, they would talk in terms that people could understand. And he's saying, bring the whole tithe into, into the storehouse. Well, what's the storehouse? Well, if you lived in a community, everybody would tithe this into the storehouse so that everyone could benefit, right? And he's saying, bring it into the storehouse so that there may be food there. And so when, when you talk about where you're fed today, where, where are you fed? And that, that boils down to the local church. I mean, where are, you, where are you pulling from? Where are you pulling your, your spiritual feeding from? Where are you plugging into the church? It's the local church. People ask me sometimes, they say, well, can, can I tithe to, and then they name some ministry, or I'm going to give my 10% to this over here. See, that's, that's generosity. That's offerings. That's something completely different. He didn't say bring it to somebody else's ministry. He said bring it into the storehouse. He said bring it where you're fed from. He said that there may be food in my house. And then he says this, test me in it. Test me. I love the fact that God does that. It's the one place in Scripture he says, test me. And I, here, here's the reason why. Again, I want to go back to what I said in the beginning. Even God understands that we struggle with this. We, humanly, just the risk-taking of our finances. Because money has the propensity to control us. So God cares an awful lot about it. And he says, I want you to test me in it. Test me in it and see if I don't do what I say I'll do. 
I'll, I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing. Now, maybe you've, maybe you've never tithed before. And maybe you're thinking you're crazy and you're nuts because I did a little math while you were talking a second ago in my head and there's no way I'm writing a check like that. You ever struggled like that? I, I have before. I, I, I looked at it one time and I'm like, man, I could do a lot, a lot with that. This humanly, man, it's, it's a risk. And look, I get it. It's a risk to your human senses. And I'm just asking you, aren't you glad God never asked you to do it emotionally? Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, you know, I, I, I want you to do this and I want you to, to really think through all your emotions whenever you're thinking about whether you're going to obey me. No, he says, I want you to obey me in faith. That's why he said, test me. I want you to believe what I say before you see results. And he said, I want you to see if I won't do my part. And maybe you'd say this. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I'm doing fine in my life right now. I'm making enough money. I'm actually making more than I need. I've never tithed a day in my life. Or maybe I've done it once. I'm not a consistent tither. I'm doing fine. You know what? That may be true, but one day you're going to stand before the master. One day you're going to stand before God, and will what he entrusted you have just passed through your hands? Or will there be something invested spiritually during this short time on earth and eternally that brought an increase to God's part? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. The money's not yours. The money's God's. And just like Jesus is telling the story, he's like, hey, these guys didn't get their money. They got God's money. They got the master's money. Is, when you stand before the master one day, is there going to be something invested that actually brought a reward? Some people think specifically about the church and how they handle money and where it goes, and they kind of determine whether or not they're going to give when it comes to tithing based on that. And I don't think that's a bad thought at all. Uh, in fact, I would say don't give to a church that's not responsible with their money. I'd say find another one. <laughs> I'd say find somewhere that is a Bible-believing church that is being fiscally responsible. Um, you know, don't give to a church that, that doesn't have safe money handling practices. Find out. Don't, don't give to a church that doesn't have checks and balances with staff and volunteers. Don't give to a church that doesn't operate on a budget. All this stuff is, is biblical. Don't give to a church that's not funding ministry to fund the church, to fund the community, to help, to, to give. This is all biblical stuff. Um, I will tell you that our church has extremely high standards when it comes to people, when it comes to money, and holding people accountable. Uh, on top of that, we have a financial stewardship team that their whole job is to oversee the biblical accountability of how our money is spent. And there's not one pastor on our staff that's on that team. Um, these are, are tithe-paying, non-paid volunteers, spiritual parents in our church who have proven themselves over time. Um, now, I want, you, I want you to hear me say this. That's our responsibility as a staff. That's our responsibility to God, and that's our responsibility to you, and we take that serious. Now, hear me say this. None of that qualifies or negates your responsibility or my responsibility as a believer to honor God's word with our tithes and our generosity. Did you hear me? Uh, I want to make that distinction very clear. God's word is for each of us. It's, it's, it's his command, and he commands us to obey him and to trust him with 10% of our increase. Now, that sounds scary, uh, but you have to approach this by faith and not math. Yeah, this is God's word. He says, believe in me, and I will open up the windows of heaven. Now, maybe, you, maybe you're believing that, that tithing isn't a command, or maybe you, you'd be here to say, hey, well, I've done a little bit of research, or I've done a lot, and I've heard people talk that you know, tithing isn't relevant to us anymore. It's just kind of an Old Testament practice. Jesus never tithed, lot of da da do. Um, if you have genuine questions about that, please, please don't hold them to yourself. I, come to me and talk to me about it. Come, I, I would love to talk to you, not debate. I just, I just want to shed some light on some stuff for you. 
uh, we hold to the belief that tithing is just as relevant today as it was back then, and that God backs up his promises concerning the tithe just like he did back then. And if you don't understand that or you have questions about it, please don't hesitate to make an appointment with me and talk. I'm not here to try to convince you of anything. I am here to try to only convince you that God has the best in mind for you according to your finances and according to his word. That's tithing. Some people ask, well, can I tithe 5%? Well, the tithe literally means the tenth. It, it means 10%. God is faithful to his word, guys and gals. And when we do it God's way, he always comes through. That's tithing. The second biblical principle is being generous. Is being generous. It's, it's giving over and above the tithe with your discretionary resources to things that you feel or the Holy Spirit directs you to give to. That doesn't have to be to the local church. It can but it can be to people you see on the street. It could be to a ministry somewhere else that you want to, want to help fund, that you want to get involved in. Maybe you want to sponsor a child somewhere in the U.S. or overseas. But regardless of what it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, Remember this, a farmer that plants only a few seeds is going to get a small crop, but the one who plants generously is going to get a generous crop. And each of you got to decide in your own heart how much you're going to give. Now, this is, this, see the difference here? God commands the tithe, but he says for offerings, you got to decide in your heart what you're going to give. And don't give reluctantly, he says, or don't give in response to pressure, meaning don't, don't some pastor waving their hands at you, screaming down your throat. Don't give to that. Don't, don't decide to give because of that. Don't give under pressure or do it reluctantly, because God loves somebody who's going to give cheerfully. God loves somebody who's going to decide in their own hearts, maybe even pray about it, maybe talk to a couple of people, their spouse, somebody who's affected by it, and say, you know what, what should we do? By the time they give to something, they've decided in their hearts, and they're doing it in faith. It says God loves somebody who gives cheerfully. And I love this, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Down in verse 11, he says this, you're going to be enriched in every way if you do that so that you will always be generous. He said, you'll be enriched in every way. That's not just financially. He said, you're going to be enriched in every way. You're going to be enriched maybe in your health, maybe in your emotional state. Maybe you're going to be enriched in the joy that you thought was lost, but now you have. God is going to enrich your life in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion in every way. He said, and then we're, we're going to take those gifts to those who need them, and they're going to thank God. You, you know, your giving, your generosity is going to result in thanksgiving to God. God gets blessed doubly because you give to somebody. It's not just their needs being met, but now God gets glory because of it. You see how that works? Maybe you've never done either of those. Maybe you're here today, and you, maybe giving is a struggle for you because, because of fear. Because you know what? You're not sure what, what's going to happen if you give because it's a risk. I think we should remember the words of David in Psalm 37. Verse 25, when, when he said this, he said, I've, I've been young. He said, now I'm old. Some of us are young. Some of us are a little wiser now, right? He said, but yet, I've never seen the godly abandoned, and I've never seen their children begging, begging for bread. And he was talking about generous people, if you look at the context there. He says, people that give generously, he said, I've, I've never seen them abandoned. I've never seen God forsake them, and I've never seen their kids begging bread. They always have what they need. Tithing and giving, being generous. Those, those are the two basic principles when it comes to investing now, financially speaking, in terms of what God's entrusted us with, in forever, into eternity. Getting back to the story that, that Jesus was, was telling on what the kingdom of God is like, he's, he, he has a third point, and it's this. That's the one-bagger. Security seekers miss out on blessings. 
security seekers. They, they miss out on blessings. And verse 24 of Matthew 25 says, Then the servant with the one bag of gold came and said, Master, and this is the five bags of gold guy came, the, 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 the three bags of gold guy came, now the, the one bagger came. And, and it says, Master, I, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. And I, I was afraid I would lose your money. So what I did was I buried it. I hid it in the earth, waited for you to come back, heard you were coming, went and dug it up, now here it is. Look, here's your money. Ta-da! It's just as pretty as it was when you gave it to me. Well, he did get one thing right. He acknowledged that it wasn't his, that it was the master's. <laughs> but boy, did he mess up a lot of other ways. He was afraid. He gave in to fear. I was afraid, you know, this would happen. I was afraid. He was lazy. He didn't do anything. He just went and buried it and went on his way. I don't know how long the master was gone, but what in the world did he do while the other guys were working hard investing the master's money, the master's stuff, being a good steward of the master's stuff? What was he doing? Just living life, money passing through his hands while the stuff's just buried over there doing nothing. He didn't even try to imagine how he could invest it. He was self-pitying. You were a hard man. I'm a victim. La-da-da-da-da. He didn't lose anything. He just didn't do anything with it. He played it safe. And what was the result? This is what the master says in verse 26. It says, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant, if you, if you knew I gathered crops I didn't cultivate, if you knew I, I was that kind of, of man with that kind of power, then why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least then I could have gotten some interest off of it. Then he ordered, take the money from this guy and give it to the one with 10 bags of gold. He, I mean, he, 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 he blew it. It's like we're living this, earth, this, this short time on earth and all this stuff's passing through our hands and we're doing absolutely nothing with it. And one day we're going to step into eternity and stand before God. And I just got to say, I, I want to stand there and say, God, I invested. I invested my time, my, my, my energies, my, my resources. I invested the, the money that you blessed me with. I gave a tenth of it. God, and, and, and sometimes it was scary, but I did it. I, I, I blessed other people. I calculated an amount that I was going to be generous with because I wanted to make sure, God, that you knew my heart and that I captured yours. Now I stand before you one day and not a dollar is in my hand. It's all there. But Lord, what I did spiritually is going to follow me. I, I want to, well done. I, I want to stand there and say that. This guy didn't do it. He, he did absolutely nothing with it. Some of, some of you may be thinking, I'm a, I'm a one-bagger. I don't have a whole lot. I don't have a whole lot to make ends meet. I, I might be unemployed. Let's think about it practically here for a minute. Maybe you're thinking there's just no way that God can expect me to give anything or do anything, take a risk anyway, because I don't have it. And if that's what you're thinking, I think you've missed the point, because this isn't just about giving. It's about handling what we do have in a way that honors God as a clear demonstration that we trust him. Do I trust that the the hand glider will fly? Do I trust that the bungee cord will hold me? Do I trust that God will honor his word? Listen, here, here's the incredible truth about our God. Blessings are ours no matter how much we have. The, the two bag of gold guy took risk and invested. They got the same blessing as the five bags of gold guy. That, that's why you give according to what you have. It's not about a, 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 an amount. 10% is 10%. It's one dime on every dollar. Whether you have a million dollars or whether you have one dollar, it doesn't matter. It's, it's 10%. The, the amount may look different for you than me. Generosity isn't a number. Generosity is a heart matter according to what you have. We tithe and we're generous according to what God gives us. That's all you're responsible for. So it, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, maybe it still requires the same faith. God says do it. That's what you're responsible for. Next week we're going to be giving 
Next week, we're going to be giving it across all three locations in something we're calling Offering Fit for a King. And what we're asking you to do is, is, is if you've never tithed before, maybe this is your chance to do it. Maybe you're going to tithe for the very first time because you've heard God's word, and I'm just a messenger. Maybe, you're, maybe you've never tithed before. Maybe you never do it again. I have no idea. But next week, maybe for you, you and your family are going to believe God and honor him, and maybe you're going to tithe for the very first time. Maybe you're already tithing. Maybe next week you're going to give this, this, this generosity thing. You're going to say, you know what? I'm going to give above my tithe, and, and I'm, we are going to give an offering that honors God. That's why we call it an offering that's fit for a, for a king. We're not going to tip him. <laughs> We're not going to throw a tin in the bucket and say, here, here's some leftovers. Go ahead, have yourself a good time, God. Don't spend it all in one place, you know. We're going we're gonna to really understand that this is the Bible here. This, this isn't my words. This isn't Pastor Jim's words. This isn't, Pastor, this isn't anybody's words humanly. This is God's word to us. And it's not ours, guys. And gals, he, he says, I'm entrusting this to you. We're just giving you an opportunity this, this coming week. And, and you know what? It may seem like a risk to our human senses. But I can tell you this, it's a risk that turns into a guarantee when it comes to our spirit. It may seem like a risk to our human senses, but it's a guarantee with our spirits. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, verse 14. It says, the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. So we're sitting here on earth and we're going, okay, you talked about all this stuff. How in the world do I have a guarantee? Well, to your human senses, you won't. It'll always seem like a risk. But we have the Holy Spirit here to guide us. And it says that God gave us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that when we step into eternity, that it's actually going to be there. there. There is an inheritance he promised us. But it's only a guarantee that's understood by your spirit. It's the part that God speaks to. But you're human too. You have this human nature about you. Even though you know deep down in your spirit that God is real, even though you know that, that there is an eternity and that there is a reality, we can't see it, we can't feel it, it's, it's, it's a little bit shaky. Investing in eternity, it still takes faith because you're a human being and you still live on this earth. Now, here, here's the cool part about all that. God understands this about you and he invites you to take the risk. He doesn't think less of you because you're scared or you're not sure. He invites you to take the risk. He invites you to partake in something that you don't quite see yet. All the while, God makes you some pretty big promises. And so what, what kind of risk are you willing to take? That's, that's my question as we close today. What kind of risk are you willing to take? Is it going to be a half-hearted risk? Is it going to be a careless risk? Or is it going to be a, a calculated risk that's rooted in God's word? Is it going to be careless? Is it going to be half-hearted? Or is it going to be calculated? Right, right into God's word. God, I am believing Pastor Ryan said it, but I don't believe him because he's just a human being. He's going to die like the rest of us. He has sin in his life that he needs you to die for just like the rest of us. I'm glad he came into our lives. I'm glad he said this. I'm glad he's a, a fairly decent communicator, but let's throw him out of the way for a minute. God, you, this is your stuff. This is, I'm going to face you one day. So what kind of risk are you willing to take for him? Is it going to be calculated? I, I want you to decide now with us, because we're going to do the same thing as a staff. And we're going to do the same thing together as a church. We're going to take a good calculated risk. If you've never tithed, this is your chance to do it. 
if, 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 you've never, if you've never given in such a way that's real generosity, I, what, what does that mean? Well, give till it hurts. Give, let it cost you something. And I, I said last week, I'll say it again. You, you may be excited about this or, or maybe you're a little scared. I don't know. But what, come next week, you, you may say, hey, I want to be the first one to give. Sorry, you're not going to be able to. The leaders are going to go first. We're doing the exact same thing that we're asking you to do all across the locations. Right here at Goldsboro, your leaders are going to come up here first and drop off that little gold-colored envelope in a, in a basket or whatever we have here. Because I believe leaders are responsible. Leaders are, are example makers. And we're going to go first. And we want you to be able to fall in that with us and take a calculated risk for God because his word backs it up. And we're going to be faithful to God. And we're going to put our faith in God's word. I don't know where you are along this line. I don't know whether you would more identify yourself as a five-bagger or a two-bagger or a one-bagger. I don't know. But this is what I know, that whatever God has given you, according to the ability that you currently have, he expects the same out of all of us. And the reward is the same for all of us. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over this small amount, and I'm going to give you even more. Let's celebrate together. Let's pray together. Our prayer team is going to come up right now. And as they do, um, guys, I, I know sometimes when we start talking about finances, some of you are in a hole and you need some prayer. You need some prayer. There was one guy in the Bible who said, I, God, I, I want to have faith. Help me to believe. <laughs> Maybe that's you today. And you need someone to help you pray. We're here for you this morning. Whatever need you have, it doesn't have to necessarily be about that. There's, there's people down here that'll help you pray. So can we pray together? Anytime during this prayer, you can just make your way up to this altar. God, I, I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like taking risks like we talked about today are easy. That's why they're called risks. Lord, everyone is, every one of us in here and listening, we're, we're all breathing air. That means we're all human beings and we all have a, a nature about us that gets freaked out, a little bit scared when it comes to stuff like this. It's hard to trust when it comes to our, our well-being right here on earth, the things that make us feel comfortable and put at ease. So I just, in, in a way, it, it can seem strange that you would address that in your word to us, to ask us to give like that, to give up like that, not just money, but to give ourselves up like that and kind of be vulnerable. Lord, but you, you always are doing things, and you're always asking us to do things that make us more dependent on you. Not so that you can hold us as slaves, but that you can show us how good you are if we would just get over ourselves and, and trust you. That's so hard. I think about Peter getting out of the boat and walking on water, what that must have been like for him, looking at the face of God in human form, just standing there and saying, if I can just get out of this boat, everything about me says, sit down and shut up, but you're, you're calling me out into this water to walk on it. I don't know what that must have been like for him. And for some of us, that's what it feels like now. In fact, I would say for all of us, that's what it feels like right now. Whenever you say to give 10% to tithe, to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and then you promise these blessings that we can't even begin to see right now, but to have faith in that, to, give, to be generous, to, be, to give offerings over and above the tithe. And we're sitting here going, gosh, I've, I've done the math in my, in my, my bank account. I, I just, either I don't have it, or quite frankly, I just don't see the relevance. I don't know. I just, and, and you still, you call us to that. Lord, we want to move beyond that. We want to move beyond ourselves. You, you said, test me in this. We don't do that in vain. 
Lord, for some of us in the room, they're, they're, they're going to test you. And I know you're going to come through, Father, because you always do. Your word never changes. So I just pray as we walk out of this room and as we pray this week, maybe some of us have already been doing it, about what we're going to bring next week. What, you know, the, the, the tithe, maybe for the first time. Lord, are the offerings. Father, I, I know you're honored and blessed, even excited about doing your part because there's people that are stepping out in faith, like Peter stepping out of that boat. Uh, just help us, God. Help us. And, and I, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, this thing, whole thing would be infused with joy and peace. And this whole thing would be in, infused with an expectancy to watch the God who created the universe and owns every single thing, who doesn't lack in any resource whatsoever, be interested in what we're going to give and be overly excited about doing his part and blessing us. So I, I, I just thank you for that. Just end this prayer with thanksgiving. And I thank you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Can we say amen together? Amen.